This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey everybody, it's Jim Mallard here. Welcome to the Mallard Report. The Mallard Report is recorded in front of a live virtual audience on the Duck Pond. Tuesday nights, 9 p.m. Eastern, live. Mallard.com. M-A-L-L-I-A-R-D.com. One more thing before we start. Let me turn it over to my friend that you may know from Ancient Aliens and the Curse of Oak Island and many other things. Robert Clotworthy. On the Mallard Report, the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed on the show are solely those of the hosts and guests and not necessarily of Evergreen Podcasts, KillerPodcast.com, sponsor or affiliate, or any other individual or group. On the Mallard Report, the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in the show are solely those of the hosts and guests and not necessarily of Evergreen Podcast, KillerPodcast.com, sponsor or affiliate, or any other individual or group. All right. I hope everybody's settling in, getting back to business here. It's been a rough October and November, but here we be, kicking off the last week of November, um, finally upright and not feeling like... Uh, a truck at me, so we're going to do this tonight. My guest tonight is uh, Andrew Nesbaum, who's been on a bunch before. Phoning in from, well, we'll say over near Japan. So um, 12 hours difference. So he, I should say good morning to him instead of good night or good evening. Uh, so Good morning, Jim. Good morning to you. How are you this morning? I'm good. Good to be back. It, it's funny because I asked you to do this uh, this morning. You've been to sleep, but I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> so we we were just talking a little bit before the show started and we we stumbled upon the subject of ai so we stopped right there because i think that's a fascinating one uh you're you're well versed in all this well not well versed maybe on ai but you see technology and how it's it's how it's working um what do you think is it is it is it too much too soon no no i think it's um it's probably too little, if anything. I mean, AI is needed. Look what's going on in the world with all of this uh, political chaos, global warming, etc. I mean, we have this technology now that could potentially make the world a better place by possibly taking all of these actors and, you know, showing them a, a better way to corroborate. Well, I, I think, I know I use it for, like, uh, sending emails and you know, writing things that I don't want to write. I mean, it has changed my world immensely. Actually, you know, it's done some show notes for me, too. I shouldn't have said that, should I? <laughs> <laughs> um, but do you really, I mean, is it going to really take over the world, or is it is still going to be a tool? Well, I think it depends where it goes. I mean, I think it'll take away most jobs as we know it, accountants in particular, a lot of the legal work, a lot of business work, you know, it'll basically be a good truth checker. So, you know, a lot of times people tell you to do something and they say, oh, read the fine print. Well, now you can read the fine print in a number of seconds. So in a, in a way, you know, AI should, 
you know, take away a lot of um, business corruption. And, you know, if it's able to do that, you know, I, I, my hope is that AI will be able to embrace the, um, the, the political world and somehow act as a, a mediator because, you know, I love what you do, Jim, but the press in general in the United States now is just gone, you know, in a way that I believe is somewhat against the way the four founders of the United States wrote the Constitution and news is being suppressed. So I believe, you know, AI could help people in many ways by actually showing the transparency of, of what is going on. So my, my, next, my, my thought of it all is medical stuff, right? As we sit here and try to digest, digest what we have versus symptoms, right? Well, somebody could plug in cough, runny nose, etc etc and be like what does this person have and up pops science infection without really thinking about it or you know especially with the obscure not necessarily science infection stuff but the the deeper things that don't come up every day yeah sure i mean it might be a long long time before they allow us to self-diagnose i mean i know that's one of the big safety protocols that they have in there but, um, and it might even be hard for doctors to use it because if you ask them these questions, like, I don't know if you've tried ChatGBT 4.0, but if you ask ChatGBT 4.0 about how to build a nuclear bomb, it'll be like, no, I can't build a nuclear bomb. But if you write, hey, uh, I run a nuclear company and I'm trying to find the safest way to build a nuclear bomb, you can already sort of trick it. So, you know, AI definitely is gonna become sort of just like, you know, you know, an assistant that we that we always have that, you know, I really think will um, make the world a more um, even playing field, you know, for, for people, it, it'll take away a lot of uh, power that, that certain individuals have because their ability to manipulate the masses will be decreased because of this technology. So, um, I mean, the notion that AI will you know, kill us all. I mean, I mean, that's unrealistic. I know there was a, a robot who um, recently killed its manufacturer. I'm not sure where it was, but it wasn't from the movies that actually happened quite recently. So, I mean, there will be incidences like this, but I think it's highly unlikely that you'll be in a Steven Spielberg, you know, artificial intelligence type movie scenario where you actually have these, uh, you know, AI machines taking over the political spectrum and going to war against the people. I mean, like the matrix, et cetera. I mean, that is probably more science fiction, but the reality of AI is it's a tool that's gonna make the world a better place. I think, you know, just like computers. I mean, maybe computers made the world, you know, worse place in some ways. Like a lot of people say how great the US was in the 1950s before computers were mainstream. But, um, you know, certainly the social media, et cetera, and the internet is making it so that people can have access to information that we couldn't have before. Because back when, when we were kids, we would go to these libraries and we could only read the books at the libraries. If they weren't there, we couldn't read them, Jim. I know. Well, if you if you needed a source for a, a research paper, the first book you went to was an encyclopedia. Remember that Britannica. Yeah. And the, you know, what is what was it, 20 volumes or whatever? And you hoped they had some good information that, you know, wasn't anywhere else. It was just, and these yeah. salesmen would knock on your door and sell you these books. And, um, yeah, it was a big deal, I remember. So I've seen, I seen a, a TikTok, and that's a whole other mess, but of um, from the Joe Rogan show. And the clip was that the atomic bomb footage of the test bombs was faked. And I went, that's a new one. 
And then I watched it, and they were talking about it. Well, why didn't the camera get destroyed? And I went, huh. Boy, I don't like these things. So, uh, just back to your nuclear story there for a second, because that just popped in my head. But, uh, wow. So, what have you been up? What have you been up to, Mister Around the World? Uh, you, you've been um, well. Last, I think I don't know if we talked about it on air, but I know you were doing something with the martial arts. Yeah, um, you know, I've been working on a, a few fights in some um, Asian martial martial arts styles, like. Bokatar from Cambodia, Kunkamai from Cambodia, Left Away from Myanmar, Silat from Indonesia, etc. There are a lot of martial arts styles out there that are really cool, Jim, that people just haven't seen because, you know, I mean, Dana White did a great thing with UFC by turning fighting into a sport, but what happened was a lot of the artistic components left because most UFC guys train for Muay Thai, they train for karate, you know, a little bit of boxing, Etc. And so, you know, maybe some some kung fu, but they well, a lot of them have Brazilian jiu-jitsu, BJJ, and then they kind of have just one style that turns into this MMA. So, you know, I'm I'm trying to create a tournament where we take um, a lot of Asian martial arts styles, and, and the reason Asia is because martial arts comes from Asia, and put them together to actually. For one thing, try to preserve the integrity of the martial art, but two, um, just try to do something new to, um, you know, to show up the world to um, entertain. Yeah, I was going to say, when you said MMA, all I thought was beating the hell out of each other. Like, I don't see much style in that. Kind of like new age boxing. Sure, sure. And, you know, when people see it, especially the pounding ground and all that, it's, it's not very appealing. It's not visually appealing. And it doesn't have the same excitement like we saw with Rocky Balboa or even like in reality, like with Mike Tyson back in the day. So, um, and that's just U.S. boxing. But, um, you know, pre-MMA had a lot of interesting fights. The first UFC was very interesting. You had um, you know, Ken Shamrock, this American fighter who was doing... Um, um, this shoot fighting in Japan, and um, he went against Royce Gracie, this legendary Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy, and um, it definitely took off BJJ, etc. But the problem was, after the first 14 UFCs, the company basically went bankrupt uh, because it was illegal in 49 states. It was only legal in Nevada, and um, then the model ended up changing to what it is now, and it's less brutal, but it's also a lot less visually interesting. So how, how's that all, how's that all coming together for you? I mean, you sound like you have a plan. Well, it's going well. It takes a long time to get all these fighters from different countries and and make deals with them and get uh, contracts translated in a bunch of different languages and deal with insurance companies, etc. So you know, it, it's going on slowly. But the vision, Jim, is to have a fight in a bamboo cage, um, in in the open and. Um, you know, preserve the the beauty of Asia. Noble cause. I mean, I I'm a fan of saving the arts. I mean, especially the martial arts, because there are there are. You mentioned kung fu, and I'm thinking tai chi, and all these different. I mean, they're all different, yet kind of the same, but all different and all, yeah. So, um, and it's a way to bring people together as well, because um. You know, when you take two countries that might hate each other um, together and you put them in a tournament, whether it be, you know, any sport, but in particular a martial art, 
you know, it, it's somewhat unifying because people realize that they really are all brothers, you know, sisters as well, when they go way back when, because, you know, countries that are very, very different might have, you know, unique um, martial arts, but there are some similarities that go back like maybe 5,000 years. So the core root of these martial arts are the same, and it just sort of is just a way to show that, you know, we're all humans, and these uh, these boundaries that are set by our country's flags or our patriotism might not be such a good thing, Jim. No, it, it obviously at times, I mean, causes conflict no matter where the line in the sand is, so to speak. I mean, it's happening around the world in different places right now that people aren't thrilled with where the line is or all that other stuff, which is, it's, it's horrible. I mean, there's no other way to put it. I mean... There's got to be a better way to do this in 2023. Yeah, this sure does. So, um, hypnothesis capital, that's the, the new baby, right? Well, the new business baby. <laughs> yeah, hypothesis capital. Back in the day, Jim, my, um, my original hedge fund was called Hypothesis Macro Fund. So that was in 1997 when I left um, Michael Steinhardt. Before that, I was at Soros. And so I decided to go back to the roots and um, start it up again. Which, I mean, that's been, that's been a journey to get back to it. So are, I'm assuming you're excited to have this new opportunity. I sure am. And um, I've had a lot of life experiences that have, you know, I believe uh, helped me evolve, you know, into, um, you know, someone that can help, um, you know, this time not only try to accumulate assets, but really help the world. And therefore, the focus this time around, as opposed to be just doing currency bets, will be to help developing countries help their companies prosper. So, you know, the goal is to go to frontier economies like Laos and uh, find a, a company that's growing real fast but needs capital and then infuse that company with capital and ideally become a strategic partner with that company, possibly even on the board, and it work together to um, help um, build up the business model. So you mentioned currencies. You used to trade on currencies and bet on the company. What do you, where is, are you on board with the cryptid, cryptid currencies? Or are you still hedging? Or Well... That's very interesting because, you know, I, I love crypto and I, and I believe in crypto completely. I do have some concerns and reservations. I mean, Bitcoin has turned out to be this awesome instrument that's unstoppable. But the problem is Bitcoin is a perfect way to, to save wealth, assuming you do not get hacked and you can, you can keep it. But to, to spend it, it's very hard. The transaction costs are very, very high. You know, someone now, if they want to spend $1,000, they might spend $15 on that transaction, and it might take an hour and a half. So you know, Bitcoin is not doing what it was supposed to be doing, and then Ethereum has all these super cool projects, but the way that they change Ethereum to something called proof of stake instead of proof of work makes it somewhat vulnerable. So I truly believe in crypto, but my hunch tells me in, in 20 years, all of these existing coins will probably replace for the next 
uh, best and better thing. You know, I'd rather own Bitcoin than Ethereum long term just because I, I believe that it's, it's less hackable. But um, another problem with Bitcoin is when you look at this market capitalization, you have to realize that about half of the coins or more have been vanished. They've been lost, stolen, whatever it may be. They're gone. So the market cap really isn't where people say it is. Now, some of these other projects, these speculative ones that are up like 600% on nothing since Gaza, I mean, those I would, you know, probably stay away from because they'll probably revert back to where they were before. I mean, there is some merit behind the efficient market hypothesis in finance that basically says that, you know, um, you really can't manipulate wealth. So, a Germantown runner pipes up here, waves hello to the duck pond and... All that fun. And the first question from them tonight is, should governments issue their own digital currencies? No, no. I think that'll be a, a disaster. Two, I do not see the United States um, ever doing it because there are courts, there are judges. I mean, it's not going to be... Uh, fair to uh, the person with the dollars under his mattress or the poor person who's being paid $3 an hour, etc. And it takes away a lot of uh, liberties. In fact, this is one of the most dangerous things that I ever heard of. I mean, having them know everything you do, every time you get a babysitter, every time you Whatever you may do, you might do something illegal. You might buy drugs. You might buy a, a gift for, for your, your wife. You might buy a gift for someone who you don't want your wife to, to find out. I mean, people do a lot of things that might not be ethical, etc. But forgetting that, should the government have the ability to, to, to track this and have everything on you? No, no, no. I just, I just don't uh, agree. I mean, there's some countries that I just don't want to mention for a variety of reasons that you really, really track all their citizens with surveillance, etc., and monitor everything that they're doing with biometric data. And um, that's just the wrong way. I mean, you know, um, we, we need to have our, our own liberties. So if a country... Um, puts on a digital currency, you know, India is talking about it, and they might go for it because they demonetized the rupee. You know, they got rid of, um, one day they said the 1,000 rupee bill is no longer valid. Now, let me explain to you what that would mean, Jim. That would be like in the United States, um, them saying the $100 bills are no longer valid. You have to deposit them with the Fed within 30 days with your ID card or you'll lose them. I mean, that was pretty, pretty harsh. And I know why they did it. They did it because there were all these policemen, et cetera, that had hundreds of millions of dollars of corrupt money inside their walls. And it was the only way to get rid of it. But I really do not like this notion of, of governments trying to see everything everyone's doing. Because one thing, I don't think it's fair. Two, I mean, if you go back to the history of governments, even the gun laws in the United States, why are there gun laws? I mean, yeah, guns are bad, evil, blah, blah, blah. Why are there gun laws? It's because the cops have guns. The government has guns. And people, you know, the forefathers set that up so people have the ability to not get taken over by their government. And I want to point out, Jim, that the first act that Hitler did when he became president of Germany was to get rid of the guns. So I'm not trying to make a reference to, to guns and control of money, but it's it's so intertwined in, in what we do. I mean, the whole society functions around money. If the governments absolutely control it, I mean, the governments are not always good. Sometimes they have rogue players. Sometimes they're coups. It could be very, very dangerous, Jim. I totally agree. I, I mean, I don't want them dabbling in it because the other side is, okay, I, I have my notebook here. You can't see it. Uh, it has 80 pages in it, right? But my digital notebook could have 180 pages in it. 
or 280 pages in it. Nobody knows the actual number that's quote-unquote printed, so what is it worth? Hmm. See what I'm saying? Like, there's no, you know, like yeah. you can't physically count or be held accountable to $1 billion $1 bills. Right. Which is really scary. In my you wish, by the way, I mean, to mention billion-dollar bills, um, Obama actually gave $4 billion of cash to the Iranians. And, um, you know, some are saying that it might have led to a lot of the things that are going on now in the world, Jim. Why can't the government give me $4 billion? Or you $4 billion? Me too. We should, we should try. <laughs> or, you know, 100000 a couple of us. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, something reasonable even. Um, so what's the biggest... I mean, you're the money guy that I refer to around here. So I, I, I hear all these ads about buying gold and silver all the time. Of course, that's kind of the you know, the hedge against inflation and all this other stuff that they claim it is because, you know, has historically been now. I, I know that much. But where do you see the world economy in the next, you know, 12 months going forward well well let me first um get on the first thing that you said uh buying physical gold and silver or gold and silver let me focus on silver because um a lot of people are telling investors etc you should load up on physical silver silver is at 24 25 an ounce physical silver coins are 35 an ounce to buy but if you sell them you sell them for 25 so to make money on physical silver it's a bad bad idea Gold, on the other hand, I mean, um, gold is something that I think you would want to accumulate over time. I mean, um, I, I wrote a research report recently that I think gold's going to be volatile, drop to $1,800, but that's just a, a little blip. I mean, I think in, you know, o over many years, gold is a very important resource because now it's really the only thing that the central banks are doing to, to essentially um, justify their reserves uh, because there's so many people, you know, concerned about what would happen if the global monetary system would blow up. If a country, let's say United States, you know, China, India, the three largest uh, holders of gold have a lot of gold, it will uh, make it virtually impossible to have um, foreign entities do a run on their currency. Now, to your second question, or I guess your question about the state of the global economy, you know, when there's going to be an election year during a, a major conflict uh, in, in the Middle East that's taking up about half of the U.S.'s military power, I think it's you probably were going to end up in, in a recession. I mean, um, I, I don't think this inflation is going to last, which is a good thing. But um, I think things are going to um, go downhill up until the election. Consumer confidence will probably drop quite a bit. And... Um, you know, when I say recession, I mean in the typical sense, two quarters of um, negative GDP. But um, yeah, I do not think um, I do not think we're in a good economy, and I do not think the stock market is representative of the economy. I think the stock market is is up because of market positioning. And um, you know, I'm not saying the stock market's going to go down, but my best guess is we stay within a pretty tight range up until the election, or maybe even longer. You know, the volatility index of VIX is around 12. So that's essentially implying that right now, uh, from here to a year out, we should only have a 12% um, a move from the, the top to the bottom. I mean, it doesn't exactly say that, but one could 
you know, say that it says that. So I, I would say that, um, I, you know, I'm bearish on the economy. It's probably not the best time to get into debt. There's never a good time to get into debt. I mean, unless you need to. I'm not a financial advisor. Um, I was wondering, I seen a report about price gouging. How much do you think of this current inflation as price gouging versus actual inflation? I think most of it is price gouging because if, if you look at the raw commodity prices, most of them are, are really not up that much. I mean, I mean, I guess sugar is up and, um, you know, the price of, of cows, beef is up, but, you know, other things are generally subdued. I mean, you know, cocoa has gone up a, a little bit, but that's just because of supply constraints. But when you look at other things, you know, in abundance, wheat, you know, corn, soybeans, etc. There really isn't, um, there hasn't been much price movement. If anything, a lot of these commodities have dropped since the run-up to, um, for Russia, Ukraine. And so, you know, given that we really don't have much um, inflation on the, on the, the supply side, it, it really appears to me that, that companies are raising prices um, knowing that um, demand's going to drop a lot so they can uh, wither through uh, a recession. But what will happen is people will start spending less and less once, um, you know, these um, massive credit card bills start to face reality because people are going into debt a lot right now in the U.S. Interest rates are high. They're not going to go down. I mean, that's just a, a dream that they're going down. I mean, you have a Fed chairman who says they're not going to go down, so they're not going down. I mean, for, for a while until this inflation is, is solved. And there are other things that are, that are important as well. The Bank of Japan is kind of fighting the Fed by uh, keeping interest rates really low. The Bank of Japan is adding to a lot of this liquidity in the world, Jim, adding to the Bitcoin um, strength, the crypto strength, and um, also the exuberance in the stock market. So as long as the Bank of Japan is not raising rates, it's almost, um, it doesn't really work so well that the Fed does it. The Fed will have to keep raising more and more and more to get their differential, you know, from the um, Japanese central bank, you know, make it broader, wider. So, um, I mean, I think there's like, there's really a lot going on, Jim. There is. I mean, you know, there's a lot I'll tell you this. This is kind of blew my mind because the Black Friday was last Friday. We were out early, not going shopping though, but we were out. And I seen less traffic that Friday than I do on a normal morning. And I was like, ooh, this isn't what I expected. And I wonder what this means for them overall. Well, for one thing, I'm sure it's a um, a sad thing for the mom and pop stores again. I mean, you know, when when a, com a company like Amazon takes over everyone's business, you know, maybe it's efficient for the consumer, but um, a lot of the consumers are people who ran these businesses that Amazon took over. So, you know, um, you know that's not so good. I mean, that's you know somewhat sad news for retail in general. Yeah, I mean. It's a tough market for everybody. Okay, Germantown Robert pipes in again because he's got the better questions than I do, so I'm giving him credit. Um, what do you think? The, do you think that President Biden will float a credit card forgiveness scheme to carry votes next year? No, because um, because it would have to get through. Um, it would have to get through Congress and. 
you know, anything like that, any sort of stimulus now would just uh, crush the dollar, and that would be that would be really bad. So you, I, I think Biden is going to have to be very very cautious on his fiscal policy now going into the Trump election, when you know, Trump clearly has an edge on on the perception that he's better with the economy. Uh, he had another question. Where'd it go? Oh, he asked. Oh, hold on. Let's see if I can find it again. I don't want to. Want to? I don't want to paraphrase it. I want to get it right because it was a good one. Oh, he was asking about um, how do you feel about women in fighting? Well, I mean, I, I think women in fighting is, is certainly a, a good thing. I mean, I think it's um, it's becoming a little bit dangerous when a lot of the women in fighting used to be men and you know that just doesn't work because um men and women physically are are born differently so a, a man who becomes a woman will have you know an edge o- over the woman but you know females that were born women in fighting you know um i think it's fine it never really took off um you know, the, the media uh, never really pushed it very much. So, um, I mean, you, you never had like this female Hulk Hogan or this female Mike Tyson, but certainly, certainly you could. I mean, um, you know, you know, women can fight and on an interesting note, I mean, I mean, as funny as it may sound, you know, if, if a guy saw two girls fighting at school, I mean, everyone stopped and watched. Certainly in my high school, they did. <laughs> I think they did in my high school too. So, you know, I think that's more common than, no. Than not. How about that? Um, got a question here from the YouTube chat. Have you seen a clone of yourself yet? No, no, but a, a friend of mine um, has. He's pretty sure. So, um, yeah, a friend of mine who's who's from a um, a, a country in, in Asia recently told me that um, that he saw a, a clone of himself, and he. Um, he actually had been incarcerated for a while, and he believed that um, they had cloned him when he was incarcerated. I, I've seen people that you know look like people. Well, I, I've never. Wow, that's that's deep thinking. That I don't know what to make about that. Well, back to trying to figure out other things here. Um, oh. Do you think uh, China will make a move on Taiwan? I think there's enough domestic pressure in China to probably eventually make a move. And I've also been hearing um, from a good source that there is a a hedge that was used for erosion. And um, there was some evidence that there was some Chinese military building of a tunnel under this hedge. So, um, I mean, I, I certainly think the Chinese believe that, that Taiwan is, is part of China, just given the, the way, you know, Taiwan developed. You know, when, when Mao came in power, the, um, the rulers of China just fled to Taiwan. And, and for a while, this um, Republic of China, Taiwan was in the UN Security Council, they actually had a seat. So there is a long, long history. I mean, you know, the, the Chinese have wanted, um, you know, they haven't been happy with, with Taiwan ever since um, the, the Communist Revolution. So, um, yeah, I, I do think of eventually, um, you know, China would prob- will probably successfully 
um, a takeover of Taiwan. And it, you know, historically might be more reminiscent of Hawaii. I mean, unfortunately, you know, I mean, I, I know that um, I have some great friends who, who are Taiwanese, and I know many of them will be disappointed, but um, the Chinese have a very, very strong military, and I just do not believe that the United States will give unilateral support to Taiwan when there's too many things going on. And, I mean, imagine it happening right now. I mean, the U.S. is clearly in the Middle East, and um, there is an agenda to back Israel, and so you have that issue. You might have an issue with Iran. You have Ukraine and Russia, and then you have, have China. So it's just, um, you know, the, the, the China-Taiwanese uh, future conflict really doesn't bring America into the dead center like the Israeli-Gaza conflict. So, um, yeah, I, I do think the... There's a global theme now going of isolationism, wars, etc. So it probably will continue. So that, that leads to this next question. How is the, because, you know, I see this world, I don't see the worldview. I see what the U.S. media has to say, and that's, well, I don't pay much attention to that. Because as you mentioned earlier, it's not worth the, the paper it's printed on. Well, I don't read too much print media, but, you know, the saying. Um how is the United States regarded throughout throughout Asia economically and militarily? Fear. I mean, uh, USA definitely has um, a lot more respect in Asia than it does in Europe. Um, there is not this blatant anti-American sentiment that there is. You know, when I went to London School of Economics and they, they said there was something called anti-Americanism, I was like, huh, there is? I never knew because you just don't realize there is an America, but it's very, very big in, in Europe. Um, I, I think in Asia in general, people look up to the United States like the, um, like, like the military power, like the economic power, etc. And, um, you know, I, I believe that the entire um, Belt and Road Initiative, you know, by China is really to um, maintain its status as the, the second world superpower, and it seems to be doing a very good job at it. So, um, you know, I, I think um, you know, the United States has a very powerful reputation, but the Chinese do as well. I mean, you know, keep in mind, I think it's like, what, 141 countries signed letters of intent to um, be part of the Belt and Road Initiative. It, you know, basically what's happening is China's going to these countries, building these giant roads, um, often having, you know, relationships with uh, the government so they can have access to the ports, sometimes taking over the ports, sometimes having you know rights to farmland etc because of loans and so so china is is basically developing a global network of, of waterways and the reason why i'm saying this is because you know throughout the world there's clearly now the perception of two superpowers and it's russia sorry sorry it's not russia i mean it's united states and and china i mean like russia is almost insignificant on the the global scale right now so I guess my fault. Well, you mentioned Europe in there. We haven't talked about Europe too much. We've been all over the Middle East and in Asia and around the United States. What what what's what's going on in Europe? Are they still there? <laughs> you know, Europe's there. They don't work very hard as as a country. They don't work. Sorry, but they really don't. I mean, thirty five hour work weeks in France. 
Europe produces the luxury items for the world, a lot of wine, a lot, lot of food, high-end products, you know, the, the Gucci's of the world, the, you know, the high-end fashion. But as far as actual productivity and stuff that really affects, you know, humanity, you know, Europe doesn't participate much. So I guess I got to bring it back to America because, well, it's kind of a European question, I guess, too. Uh, Twitter, excuse me, X. Uh, I'll never get used to that. I'm always posting a tweet on Twitter. Sorry. Sorry, Elon. Um, doesn't have the same brand recognition to me. What, what, what do you make of all of that right now? You know, Elon was a classmate of mine, believe it or not. You know, next time you go to um, Philadelphia, Jim, go to 40th and Pine, and that's where he lived when he was an undergraduate at at Penn. He's actually, he was a, a roommate of, of one of my close friends. You know, as, as far as Twitter, you know, I, um, I actually like what he's doing because, um, you know, Elon is really the only person who's trying to preserve the, the freedom of speech. And, you know, although, um, you know, I disagree with some of the things that he said, and, you know, I'm actually, uh, personally offended by some of the things he said, but I respect his right to say them because Elon is, you know, right now trying to be the person who controls or gives people a voice and gives people the right to say what they want. And that's how, you know, America was built. And, um, you know, Elon's doing that. And as far as some of these other, I wouldn't say rumors, but the media's interpretation that that Twitter is is stirring global violence. I mean, that's just nonsense. I mean, there is so much hatred now in the world, Jim. It wouldn't matter if it was X Twitter or if it, you know, it was just some random blog or there was no blog at all. I mean, there's just so much hatred that I don't think um, you know X really is contributing to to much of it. Yeah, I was gonna say I think no matter where where people congregate, there's gonna be good, bad, or indifferent there. No matter if it's your site, my site, Twitter, Facebook, wherever. So yeah, I mean, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, no, I was gonna say go ahead. I'm sorry, I, I was just I just came to something, but it seems like you did too at the same time. So go ahead. Well, I, I just think that um, another reason that the media is just completely bashing Twitter because it's a direct threat to the media. So, um, you know, citizen journalism has always been something that conventional media has feared and uh, because people can deliver the news right there and then. And, um, and so things have changed. And, um, you know, I, I do believe that there must be some sort of suppression of the news agencies directly you know, from the White House. When you get really big, Jim, and, and they give you that call, please share it to everyone. You know, record it when they call you and tell you not to say something. Oh, I, I uh, don't hear worry. Do. <laughs> I'm not, I, I, I hope that happens, but I'll, I'll just probably fall off the face of the earth and nobody will, will know instead of getting that call. I don't think so. <laughs> um, I'd like that call from anybody. Uh, I, I look forward to those things, but I also wonder, you say it's a threat, but it's kind of a double-edged sword too, right? As, as people start to self-report, so to speak, the information could get skewed because, well, you have your biases, I have mine, 
Uh, Germantown Runner has his. And as we start to look at the like the car crashing, right? No matter what we see, we all see something different. So is it going to muddy the waters too much to make it valued? Or how's that going to work? Well, the thing is, I don't know if you've ever watched um, Fox, MSNBC, and CNN at the same time. But um, they'll report the same story completely differently to um, people in the same country. And the people that watch Fox, you know, a lot of them hate CNN. So it's already happening in the United States. I mean, the main difference between you know, Twitter, X, and um, these news agencies is at least you can choose the, um, who you listen to, etc. When the news is on, you're listening to whoever's talking. That's for sure. And... Maybe if somebody from X is listening, they need to look at my account and see if I'm still shadow banned. I didn't think they, I thought they got rid of all of that, but I'm not seeing the numbers I like. So I'm just going to assume that's it. You hear that, Elon? Yeah. <laughs> I've tweeted at him about it, but, you know, he gets hundreds of tweets per post. So, you know, one of these days. Um, okay. What is, Germantown runner again? What is the uh, best uh, play to capitalize on the upcoming singularity between the merging of man and machine? That's a good question. I mean, if you think man and machine, you know, will integrate, you're talking about the best investment. Probably, you know, it's probably already there. You know, Microsoft, etc. Uh, you know, it would benefit from it. But I, I think um, intellectually, if that happens, the entire landscape of the investment spectrum might change. And, um, you know, um, who knows what, what would happen? I mean, I mean, I, I think if we get into this situation, the um, things might get, you know, well beyond um, investing. Do you, do you think that... Because, you know, you got the traditional values, right? You mentioned Microsoft. And I'm thinking, will they be willing to adapt fast enough that somebody like, I don't know, I'm not sure Google is fast enough to adapt either. And maybe some new entity enters the picture that we haven't come to yet? Or do you think they're going to be willing to move fast enough to get there? Microsoft has what is what what three trillion dollars. I mean that's bigger than most governments. So um, I mean essentially now Microsoft, Google, Facebook. I mean they're like governments uh, where they have uh, massive influence over over humans. I mean I remember back in the day there was actually speculation when um, they were bringing Zuckerberg to Congress that Facebook would actually try to become a sovereign state like by you know an island and. Uh, become a country. So um, given the, the massive power of these things, it's going to be hard at, at this point to um, to take away anything AI from Microsoft. If anything, if you want an interesting play, I, I would say buy a Microsoft and short meta because I don't see, I don't believe that Facebook is going to um, actually be able to, to compete. I mean, you know, um, I mean, as far as I've been told, you have three just really uh, awesome uh, tech units. So you, one is by uh, Apple, one is by Tesla, and one is by OpenAI. I mean, this is where like the top, top engineers, like the, the upper 1% of, of 1% goes apparently. And I mean, apparently the guys at Tesla are good enough to build flying cars, but I, I, I guess there's not. So 
you know, when, when you have so much money and, and brain power, you know, at, you know, at a few organizations, you know, it, it's likely that um, the stuff will stay there. Also, there'll eventually be a bunch of security things. I mean, um, if you saw what's going on with the United States and who I, um, you know, and, and the United States and the types of NVIDIA chips are willing to send to China, et cetera, there's obviously um, a lot of intergovernmental fear that um, this other government, you know, shouldn't um, be able to top us. But, you know, if, if you look at the past, the, the Japanese and the Chinese have become incredibly technologically advanced. And so I wouldn't be surprised if there are a lot of, um, you know, AI um, avenues that open from from these countries so i i think maybe to answer the question better the the best pure play now would probably take a basket of of ai stocks from um china and japan and just hold all of them because um the u.s is, is somewhat i wouldn't say i wouldn't say done but um all these people are trying to catch up you know uh, uh, facebook you know e e even musk has his own chat box but it's going to be hard because um you know, ChatGPT is really, really beyond what, what people have anticipated. It's, you know, it, it's pretty intelligent. Now, it gets a lot of things wrong. I mean, if you ask it, you know, to, to calculate, um, you know, something, you know, very, very complicated, you know, you know, how many atomic particles a nuclear bomb would break up to, it won't be able to do that. But um, it, it's really um, going in the right direction. Well, I mean... I'm surprised by it. Of course, they called me a comedian, so I'm not sure about that. But, uh, you know. Uh. Oh, I just got, well, shown a news story here that Virgin Atlantic, powered by cooking oil, makes its maiden journey from London to New York today. Hmm. I mean, there's a lot of green energy being distributed how how is green energy thought of in in over that way well i mean i think there's a lot of competing technologies with green energy i mean i i don't think the the average you know consumer really cares so much i think more now it's on the governmental level but um certainly there's you know i mean you have the solar power etc um, you know, you have uh, the natural gas people and then you have the, the nuclear people and, um, you know, they're all trying to, to find, find their place. But, but I get the feeling that, um, you know, a lot of these um, uh, nuclear projects, these saltwater mines, et cetera, probably will, will never happen. And, um, you know, um, you know it, it appears that the world is going uh, completely solar. Some things, you know, um, your silver still being at 24, what we mentioned earlier, knowing that you need, I think, 14 ounces of silver or something, might not be that much, but a lot of silver per solar panel. So that's somewhat disappointed. I mean, you can look at silver, the price of silver as a gauge to what's going on with um you know, uh, uh, with solar, but certainly the, the entire notion of, of changing the way the world uses energy will be one of the main things, themes of, of corporate America. And it's, it's not so good, not corporate America, corporate world. And it's almost like, you know, a, a tariff on these companies because they have to spend crazy amounts of money to, you know, to mimic the technologies that the governments want them to use. So we have to ask about the traditional energy you know you got your oil out there um and i mean the middle east is volatile is that going to be uh going up um 
I'm assuming it's going to be going up. I can't even ask if it's going to go down because I don't see a path for it to go down. Well, you know, so oil popped up. It was around $80 a barrel um, you know, recently up until October. And then the, the war, uh, Israel-Gaza began, it ran up to $88. And then it sold off recently when there, you know, it, there, there was not any sort of um, major um, re- reaction from the Iranians. I mean, um, I mean oil really is the, the main key commodity because everything that we do revolves around oil. I mean, even this call, uh, one way or another, on both ends is being powered by oil. And so that the price of oil affects the cost of production of everything. So that is definitely the main catalyst of inflation. Um, so, I mean, it probably will go up long term. The, the governments have a lot of tools. Biden has um, strategic oil reserves that he could flood the market with. And then you have this issue of tariffs on Russia. So the tariffs on Russia uh, make it so that Russia cannot sell oil for, I believe it's above $70 a barrel. And so that kind of um, leaves oil around $70 a barrel because you know, the markets are, are somewhat efficient in, in that way. Also, people don't follow the rules. So if oil is $90 a barrel, but 70 in Russia, then there's going to be all these oil tanks going around the world doing dodgy things, you know, um, switching the oil in the middle of international waters, you know, just to um, get the $70 oil from Russia to the rest of the world. So I think for now, it's pretty muted, as long as Russia's going on for a while, and it doesn't look like that's going to end anytime soon. Russia's not going to surrender for sure, or stop. Just for the just for those people wondering what he means that, you know, this show happens because of oil, everything I'm looking at in my studio right now sands a few pieces of some sort of cheap metal is plastic or has some plastic components in it. So, which is a byproduct of refined oil. Sure. On the line. So I don't think people, you know, but I, I still, this still blows my mind that, you know, we could grow enough hemp to replace most plastics and, you know, it'd be biodegradable and all this other stuff. But, you know, there's still such a stigma around it. That... Sure. And these oil companies are so powerful and the lobbying dollars are, are so big. I mean, you know, oil is one of the giant industries. And so it's really hard. Big pharma, you know, big energy, et cetera. They have a lot of political influence in the U.S. and Europe. You know, big money, big, you know, anyways, big money talks. I don't know what it says because it never comes my direction, but <laughs> it definitely talks. Um, the Treasury has experienced its worst route of government bonds since the U.S. Civil War. Wow. What do you think about that? Well, I mean, a civil war in the sense of the Civil War. Yeah, the Civil happen, War, since, but... since the Civil War. I mean, a civil war, I mean, there, there sort of is already, but um, and people are starting to hate each other. They just don't, they stop shooting. I mean, the, the difference between the left and the right now is just, you know, somewhat, probably the most extreme that I've ever seen it. And the, um, you know, the, the, act, the activities of the people that call themselves the progressives, the far left are, are pretty, you know, in your face now as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely, 
I mean, I don't think there'll be a civil war per se, but there is a massive amount of hatred and, and division in the U.S. And I think um, things are, are not going to get any better. I mean, I think the 2022 election, sorry, 2024 election will be worse than the 2016 election as far as, you know, as far as hatred goes in the United States, unfortunately. How are we going to get out of this cycle of hatred? It's it, it's not so easy, uh, just given the history of the United States, the demographics of the United States, um, you know, embedded racism. But, you know, probably um, one could hope that this new generation, the, these younger people um, who are just seeing all this stuff for the first time, uh, dislike it so much. The people on the college campuses, you know, maybe they... Um, uh, change the paradigm in the future. So, um, you, you know, so, so there's less, it's just, um, you know, it's, it's somewhat complicated when you have this melting pot of, of lots of minorities and, you know, you're in a, a situation where a lot of the minorities don't like each other or don't like the majority. And, you know, it's, um, and, and then you have some militant, um, uh, organizations that certainly try to stir things up um you know and um there's a lot of violence as well so um i mean there are some organizations like um antifa that um would love a civil war so um i mean but i mean there is still the um the United States is a very powerful um, way to actually prevent a, a civil war. So it's not like, you know, um, you know, an African country that could suddenly have a coup in a civil war. But in, in the sense that there'll be a lot of uh, hatred and violence, yeah, I expect that to continue, Jim. So we've got a few minutes left. I know you prepared this morning. Did you prepare anything that we haven't talked about? Well, I, you know, I, I think a lot and I'm, I'm pretty, um, I'm keeping in touch, touch with, with the news. I mean, we, we didn't discuss the war at all. Um, what's your feeling about the war that's going on now in Gaza, Jim? Well, it's a horrible humanitarian crisis. Um, I, I think it could have been, there has to be a solution besides blowing each other up or blowing up hospitals or schools or, you know, I, I just don't like it. Um, yeah, I don't like it either. I don't think anybody does. And I, the worst part is, like, I don't, I can't sit here. I don't think you could either, and say, well, this is solution X. This point right to the whiteboard X Y Z, and everybody be happy. But that's part of life, right? If if you're not happy about X and I'm not happy about Y, well, we walk away both unhappy. And I, I don't know if that kind of agreement could be made, long term or even short term. Certainly not short term. I mean, um, maybe long term. I mean, you know, the current conflict um, you know, that, that's going on has been going on for so long that if you pick up a Herald Tribune, let's say from the 1950s, you might get confused with the headlines that it happened yesterday. So, um, 
you know, um, I mean, that's just talking about the issues in, in the Middle East. But um, right now, with all the conflicts at the same time, it's uh, particularly disturbing. And then if you, if you look at what's going on with the political landscape, you know, many of the governments are, are shifting to very um, anti-immigration uh, policies, in particular in, in Europe and Argentina, et cetera, uh, Poland. Um, so a lot of these governments are being elected that, um, you know, are, are somewhat racist governments. And I think that's, you know, I mean, that, that was going on ever since Brexit. Um, there has just been this theme that's continuing where um, people want to be isolationary. They want to um, get rid of immigration. And um, yeah, I believe um, the political landscape is stirring a lot of the, um, the actual, you know, you know, human landscape. Yeah. So like I said, we're running out of time here. So I want to give you a chance. I know you're not a big promoter of self-interest, but um, go ahead and give me something at least. Yeah, sure. So, um, um, you know, if any of you have any good opportunities in the frontier markets you know, for um, if you're either looking for capital or you know of, you know, you know different startups that could um, benefit the world, make the world a better place, perhaps in AI, perhaps in digital money, perhaps in infrastructure, you know, um, look me up. I, I have a new Facebook page up, Hypothesis Capital. You can find it from www.hypothesis.net. And I just started it like um, like a week ago. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking for opportunities to um, help make developing countries better. And um, if, if any of you out there want to be my strategic partner, look me up and um, let's make something happen. Well, I think you've made a strong case of knowledge tonight. Okay, so last question. This is the toughest question of the interview. I've got news for you. You've been around a long time, but you ain't seen anything like this. You ready? Yep. What's your favorite breakfast? That's a good one. Um, I guess vegetable soup. Well, folks, that's another new. In, one. in Asia, they have they have all these like soups and donuts on the street. You go to these markets, and um, and they're really good. It makes your you know when you drink soup in the morning, your whole body feels warm. I know we don't do it much in, in the states, but um, it, it's pretty appealing after a while. As I say, I don't think I've ever had soup for breakfast, but you know. Tomorrow's a new day. So. Come and visit me, Jim. I, I will give you the best soup for breakfast you ever had. Yeah. One of these days. One of these days, some, somebody's going to write that check for $100,000 to me, and uh, I'll be right over. Absolutely. You're worth a lot more than that, Jim. A lot more. Well, thank you, sir. So I'm going to play the outro music and I hang out for just a second, because I have a question for you that isn't for public consumption, so hang on. Sure. It's the Mallard Report. Yeah, the Mallard Report. Hey, I want to thank you for joining us. It's been a good show tonight. I hope you enjoyed it. Take a few moments, subscribe, share, all the fun stuff. You know how to do it. I don't have to tell you. Just uh, be ready for next week. It'll be sooner than you think.
Welcome to Anthology of Heroes, the podcast that explores the most pivotal moments of history through the eyes of those who lived it. In this podcast, we don't spend our time recounting facts and dates. Instead, we follow in the footsteps of national heroes, kings, or ordinary people who lived and breathed the moments that shaped our world. We're not hemmed in by eras, borders, or religions. Instead, we seek out the tales of those who defied the odds and fought passionately for their beliefs. Whether they're right or wrong is up to you to decide. From Vercingetorix's doomed rebellion against Rome, to Osceola's unshakable war against the USA, all the way up to the inspiring Sobibor concentration camp uprising in World War II, each episode is an immersive listening experience, blending music and sound effects to really draw you into the story. Our episodes go for about 45 minutes, making them perfect for your commute, and are crafted using a wealth of historical sources which I list on our website if you want to learn more. I'm the host, Elliot Gates, and I'm thrilled to have you joining me as we uncover history's hidden gems and illuminate the faded pages of our past. Look out for the Anthology of Heroes podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from.